With it being such an eventful day today in the Special Criminal Court, myself and Mick O'Toole have made a somewhat off-the-cuff decision to make a podcast episode about today's court appearance. Jerry the Monk Hutch stands accused of the murder of David Byrne in Dublin's Regency Hotel on February 5th, 2016. This is a trial that is several years in the making and one that we could never have predicted. So Mick, as I said in the intro, this is somewhat off the cuff, but we we felt that this was such an extraordinary day in the Special Criminal Court today um, that we felt we we wanted to kind of sit down and just have a chat uh, about what we experienced sitting um, in that courtroom today. It's certainly worthy of a chat. I think it's one of the, we wrote about it in the start today, saying it had the capacity to be the, the gangland trial of the decade. And I think the first day really didn't disappoint. It was really, uh, I thought it was quite intriguing. And uh, it, there was certainly uh, an atmosphere of electricity in the trial, mm. in the courtroom, when various pieces of evidence were read out. Now, I, I, I had other, other work on this morning, so I missed the first bit of the trial, which was the opening, where... Um, the case against Mr. Hodge started. So what was the first thing that happened? Well, it started off like, I suppose, any other trial. Um, he, he was arraigned. Uh, he came out into the dock uh, with the two other accusers, Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy. And Mr. Hutch was asked to stand up uh, to affirm his name. And he was then, uh, the charge was actually read out for him. So he was, he stands accused of the murder of David Byrne in the Regency Hotel, as we know, the 5th of February, 2016. And he was asked, uh, how do you plead? Uh, and Mr. Hutch quite loudly exclaimed, not guilty. Uh, we did notice, and this is something we've been noticing since this uh, has, has gotten started, Mr. Hutch is actually wearing uh, headphones, which we've established is he, he's, he's hard of hearing. So he's wearing these headphones. So he, he actually, I would nearly say he shouted as opposed to just stated not guilty, quite loudly shouted not guilty. So that took us back straight away. So you and I were in court in September last year when Mr. Hutch first appeared on mm. the murder charge after being extradited from Spain. Personally, I thought he changed a good bit. Mm. I, when I came into the, I got in about, I think about half 12. When I got into the court, it took me a couple of seconds to realise it was him. I thought he changed quite a bit. I thought his hair was much thicker and much longer. Mm. Now he's, he was wearing a black jacket and a, a, a charcoal jacket and a, I think it was a blue open neck sure. shirt. And he, lo- he looked quite dapper, but I was just struck by how much his appearance had changed. Did you think yeah. so? I, he's a rather unusual looking dude, if you don't mind me saying so. Uh, like he looks, uh, you know, everybody has the image of the monk, uh, the, the black hair, and he was always quite quite well dressed and was quite well dressed again in court, but he's lost a lot of weight. He's clearly older looking, as you say, he's quite clean shaven. He's got the long grey hair, it's kind of curly. Um, uh, he's an unusual looking looking character, but um, we weren't surprised by the not guilty uh, uh, the not guilty um, admission, um, and and so the the case proceeded quite quickly. Then, so this was a case that was kind of marred by a series of delays, but it got it got going today straight away. So after uh, Mr. Hutch was arraigned and he pleaded not guilty to the murder of David Byrne, uh, the state began its own case against him effectively in what's called an opening. So that was Sean Galan, who's the lead prosecutor, uh, gave an outline of what the main allegations were. So you might tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, Mr. Galan got up. He's for the prosecution and he started to outline the basic facts, which, you know, for us journalists writing about the reasons the hotel and what's happened, 
we know these facts kind of nearly inside out, but to a lot of people, these are these are these are new facts. It's the first time they're hearing them in in the sequence, in the order of what happened. So he outlined, you know, that there was a boxing way in event that happened at the Regency Hotel, uh, that a crowd had gathered there, and that basically the sequence of events of how a van pulled up. Six men got out uh, over the course of time. Two of these uh, entered the building first. We know that is uh, the, the man that was dressed as a woman and a man who was wearing a flat cap, uh, an older man. These were the first two people to come into the Regency Hotel and they fired shots. And that caused, uh, as the court heard today, that caused confusion and panic and people started to run. And then following that, uh, th- there were three gunmen with AK-47 rifles who also emerged from the van and made their way into the venue and fired shots and caused further confusion and further panic. So these are facts that would have been heard in the trial of Jonathan and Patrick Dowdall last week. We would have heard a lot of that. But it's important that the state outlines its case again and informs uh, the three judges and everyone present as to the the goings-on as to what happened uh, on that very scary day in the Regency Hotel. So, So one thing that jumped out at me that hasn't come out before in all the in the ver- various legal cases and and trials that there have been is, is that there will be evidence in this trial that Mr Hutch told Jonathan Dowdle who was going to be a state witness that he was part of the gun gang that was involved in the shooting and the direct shooting of Mr Byrne. So uh, as you've said there are some rather extraordinary facts um, that are only emerging now uh, and we've heard tidbits of this before but really what was heard in court today was something extraordinary. It's something that has not been publicised before uh, and would shock many a person including ourselves um, in that Jonathan Dowdall who's now turned state witness has alleged to Gardy that he met with Jerry the Monk Hutch in the days following the Regency hotel attack. And he met him in a park in Dublin, he says, and they had a discussion after the publication of a now very famous photograph um, of the gunman in drag and of the gunman wearing the flat cap running out of the Regency Hotel. And that was published in the Sunday World newspaper, um, as I say, in the days following the Regency. And we heard, um, according to Jonathan Dowdall, um, that he had a conversation on the phone first with Mr. Hutch and that Mr. Hutch was described as being worked up and edgy. Um, discussing this this photograph. So they met in this park and uh, this was this extraordinary sentence which felt extraordinary just to even type out uh, that Mr Dowdall says that Jerry Hutch told him that, quote, they carried out the murder and that he had been one of the team that shot David Byrne. So that's a three-man team that was dressed up as members of the Garda Emergency Response Unit that were carrying Kalashnikov-style rifles and it's the very famous photo mm-hmm. of the three of them, or well, there's two of them in the photograph walking in. So that had ne- that has never come out. I mean, we've been covering this for more than six years and nobody has ever really heard that stated. So, you know, even when I heard about it, it was quite shocking. What was the atmosphere like in the, in the courtroom when it was said? Well, I think we were all too busy typing and uh, typing quite furiously and making sure that we had that detail correct. And I think I checked it with the two colleagues sitting next to me that those were definitely the words that were said. And indeed they were um, that this is the allegation that Jerry the Monk Hutch was one of the gunmen, one of the team. And that was it was stated later again uh, by Mr. Galan. I think it was one of the final sentences that he said in opening the case that it is the state's allegation that Jerry Hutch was, quote, one of the team that shot 
David Byrne in the Regency Hotel. So that's an extraordinary fact and we're obviously going to hear much more about that over the course of this trial. And it is important to say at this stage, we the case is sub judice, the, the the case is in the control of of three judges, but what's we have a bit more leeway in this case because mm-hmm. there are three judges. The presiding judge is Miss Justice Tara Burns. It's the special criminal court, and that means there's no jury. So it does give us a bit of leeway where we can, you know, just analyze and discuss what is said. But now as I say, I get in sort of late, I get in about half twelve. Was there anything else said after Mr. Glan made his, his opening speech? Uh, yeah, so sorry, no, just to go back to Mr. Gillan for a moment, um, a, a, another huge part of the state's case against Mr. Hutch is a, a Garda recording that was made during during a surveillance operation. Now, we knew a little bit about this before, but again, we're hearing details never heard before uh, that Gardy recorded a conversation uh, between Jonathan Dowdall and Jerry Hutch uh, on, on a trip that the pair of them made uh, up to the north and back again. And uh, at this point, uh, neither party was aware, obviously, that they were being recorded. Um, but this conversation was allegedly recorded and some very interesting things came out of it, including an acknowledgement by allegedly Mr. Hutch of the existence of the Kinnahan Hutch feud. So that this is coming from his own mouth and, and efforts were made. Uh, at peace, at attempting to broker peace and speak to Republican contacts about making peace. But there's a quote from Jerry Hutch uh, where he didn't want to show a weak hand and he didn't want to go looking for peace. And he, he says, quote, it's very hard to get involved where the Kinhans are concerned because it doesn't work. The messenger gets it. So I don't know if you'd want to weigh in on that at all. Oh, that's, that's, that gives a real insight. Jerry Hutch has been one of the real enigmatic people in, in, in Ireland for the last, God, the last 40 years. I know, we, I remember he has done one interview, but he, he really, he's not a brash person who likes celebrity and who likes, you know, being on the front page of the Star or the Mirror or any other newspaper. So he's, he's a very quiet man. So it, this is going to be a, an excellent insight into his thinking and into his, his thought process. So that, that that's certainly uh, really interesting mm-hmm. as well. And there was also a reference to the AK-47 rifles in this alleged conversation uh, that were referred to as, quote, the three yokes, uh, and that they were uh, giving them as a present to Republicans in the North. Uh, and Mick, as you know, these guns were later intercepted uh, by Gardaí and they were seized. Yeah, they were seized in March 2016. So it was actually the same day. Yeah, people may remember that the real, I suppose, the Garda fight back started about a month after the Regency when the Criminal Assets Bureau. Now, to be you know to be honest, they had been working on this for quite some time, but they launched a series of raids on people uh, associated with uh, the Burn Organised Crime Group. We know that they raided several. Uh, car dealerships and that sort of thing so that was the start of the fight back but later on that evening uh, we actually got word that the Kalashnikovs had been seized in Slane by the special Slane in County Meath by the special detective unit and a previous trial heard that there was an analysis a technical analysis by the Garda Ballistics section of those three uh, rifles there were Kalashnikov style rifles I think one was made in Romania mm-hmm. another one was a Chinese mm-hmm. um, and, and then there was another one um, but the analysis of casings from the Regency Match the casings in the in in the, of the ammunition in the in the rifles that were seized. Mm-hmm. So that was previously heard, and I presume that evidence will be brought in in this case. So so then that was really it for lunchtime, was it? That was it for lunchtime. Uh, we had a, a brief break before we were back in uh, two o'clock this afternoon, and uh, 
so 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 sorry we we haven't mentioned just that um there were guard witnesses called and we spoke through some of the evidence in regards to the geography of the area and the mapping uh, uh, and whatnot um so this occurred just before the first witness took the stand uh this afternoon and and that was a man by the name of Mel Crystal so who's Mel Crystal he's a very a very very interesting character he's a former boxer for Ireland uh, and he's a former professional boxer as well but in the 1980s he became a barrister mm-hmm. and is now a senior counsel so the, the, the most senior barrister that we can have but he's yeah, I think at the time he was president of the Boxing Union of Ireland yes. which is the representative body I suppose and the, the, the disciplinary body an organisational body for boxing in Ireland mm-hmm. I think professional and amateur definitely mm-hmm. professional anyway and he gave out he gave really really strong evidence he was on the, the, the day of the Regency shooting he was actually at the hotel he was called to oversee the weigh-in so we all know that the, the Regency shooting was it was the, a weigh-in for the clash of the clans which was being organised for uh, the, the, the Saturday the 6th of February I think it was in the National Stadium it was, it was in the National Stadium yes so Mr Crystal gave evidence that he was he had just finished weighing uh, one Content one fighter and he was converting it the weight their weight in kilos but he converts it to pounds and stone and he was just finished it was a guy a boxer called Gary Sweeney from the west of Ireland I think Mayo mm-hmm. and he had just finished weighing him and was uh, converting it to, to kilos to pounds and stone when he heard shooting and he, he, he looked up and he, he said he heard either four or five shots and he looked up and he saw a man the first person he saw, the person nearest him, he said, was a man who was clearly dressed as a woman. He said she, he, he was wearing a dress and he had uh, a long wig mm-hmm. on as well. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he, saw, he said he could see that the man had what he said was a revolver uh, very close to his body. And he, was, and he was young. He said he was in his early 20s, but he was, he was slim and clearly fit. Yeah. And then there was an older man beside him or, or keeping up with him who was also going quite fast but he was older and heavy more heavy set and he was and he was uh, middle aged as well mm-hmm. so there he said there was he said he used the word mayhem there was mayhem yeah. in the way in room when this happened and they he, he kept an eye on them because they were so close and they they moved past him he said and they went to two double doors which leads to I think a, another room or another function room in the hotel and while that was happening people started to run out yeah. uh, out of an exit and he said he went out and the, the first thing he saw was a man consoling a young child who was crying the child was four or five mm-hmm. but as when he was outside he could hear more shots but they were different more heavy shots uh, and he said they sounded like shots they, they, he thought they were actually small bombs so mm-hmm. they were actually more, much louder than pistol shots mm-hmm. that he had heard earlier and he said he could hear uh, sustained gunshots which he thought was uh, someone running after somebody and shooting. He thought it was they were shooting at each other. So it was it was it was it was quite chaotic. And then he gave uh, quite graphic evidence. He went back in to the where the way in uh, was taking place, <clears throat> and he got the way in gear. So the scales and the notes and that sort of thing. Mm. He was with another man, a, a Dutch man who was a guest of his, who's also involved in boxing. <coughs> who's also involved in boxing and they, they got their gear and left and they walked through the body of the hotel through, so through the reception and he said he saw uh, a man who was lying on the ground and he said he was quite clearly dead mm-hmm. now he said his, his his face had been shot off now at that I was sitting quite close to the the Byrne family to the Byrne family and somebody on that row said thanks so they were obviously quite oh did they? they right did. yeah uh, so then uh, he says he left 
and he walked out to the Swords Road, which runs parallel to the hotel and leads into Dublin city centre from the uh, the hotel and he saw two men outside and they were clearly agitated and Mr Crystal said he got the sense that he asked them you know essentially who had been shot and he got the sense that he they knew who, who the, the dead man was but they wouldn't tell him and he said one man had a long knife which he was trying to hide up his sleeve and he said both were clearly he said both were actually on alert so it was obviously a very tense situation so the next thing that happened to him was he flagged down a taxi with the Dutchman they went back to Dublin to the Boxing Union of Ireland headquarters in central Dublin and while he was in the taxi he realised there was no way this the, the clash of the clans was going to take place so he started ringing officials you know referees mm-hmm. medical people that sort of thing mm-hmm. to cancel that night just to let them know that it wouldn't be taking place mm-hmm. I mean, it's just that's an extraordinary amount of evidence to hear in one day. And we know this is going to be one of the lengthiest trials in the history of the state. We already have heard that it's supposed to run until Christmas and is likely to run into January. And yet the amount that we've heard already in this one day, and it's not even it's not even the beginning uh, of what we're due to hear. There's going to be plenty of witnesses. We know, as we said, we mentioned already, Jonathan Dowdall has turned state's witness. And at some point, uh, possibly towards the end of this trial, he's going to take the stand. He's going to be cross-examined. So there's plenty more uh, ahead in this trial, Mick. Yes, and tomorrow we know that a two, there will be obviously more, more witnesses tomorrow. But the court heard that tomorrow at two o'clock, Dr. Michael Curtis, Professor Michael Curtis, who was the former state pathologist, mm. he will be giving evidence. And we know that he carried out a post-mortem on the remains of David Byrne after he was shot dead at mm. the Regency. So his evidence is at two o'clock, but there will be evidence before that. So I think tomorrow will be another interesting day. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope to provide further updates. As we said, this was somewhat off the cuff, but we we felt it was a somewhat monumentous day in the courts and, and, and no doubt there's going to be more interesting evidence heard ahead. So thanks for joining us. Thank you.